0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Quest Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about life, love, leading, and learning with a little laughter sprinkled in. In today's episode, we're going to chat about how we unnecessarily rough ourselves up from feelings of guilt or shame or self-doubt, and some practical ways to shift our mindset to improve our lives. So let's get started. In American football, unnecessary roughness is a 15-yard penalty when a player hits another player after stepping out of bounds or when a player has already been tackled or any other physical action that takes place after the is over. And it's a self-inflicted penalty and it causes pain to the team whose player committed the infraction and it puts their team at a competitive disadvantage. So how does that apply to this? Well, when we beat ourselves up, or when we feel guilty, or shameful, or experience self-doubt or inadequacy, it creates a negative feedback loop. Where, whenever something doesn't go our way, all of a sudden uh, we feel inadequate. That ultimately loops around to further feelings of uh, of lack or things that we're not, and it reinforces the guilt and the shame the self-doubt and the inadequacy and leads to self-limiting thoughts and beliefs that actually inhibit our ability to grow inhibit our ability to take advantage of opportunities, inhibit our ability to have the type of relationships with other people that we claim we want. And it's ultimately born out of not accepting ourselves for who and what we are. And we get tortured by conscience, like not being good enough or needing to behave in a certain way for others' approval. And in those moments, we experience sadness, maybe depression, and we negatively judge how our life is turning out. And we continue to dwell in the negative, thereby reinforcing that loop. And in many ways, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'd like to talk to you about three different people that experience what I just mentioned in uh, in various forms. The first is someone I met a number of years ago that uh, seemingly to everybody they meet, they verbally give their resume. I'm pretty sure each of you listening uh, know someone like that. And of course, the person verbally gives their resume to uh, overcome feelings of inadequacy in that moment. they're they're trying to impress they're trying to gain the approval of someone else. they're trying to be externally validated by another person. And unfortunately, uh, it it gets reinforced whenever people are unimpressed um, whenever that person gives their verbally gives their resume. Um, and it ultimately sets an unrealistic expectation of, Uh, of future behavior whenever you're talking about everything that uh, you've done, all of your uh, accomplishments, rather than taking a position of humility and letting people get to know you for you. It kind of ties back to the John Maxwell quote I mentioned in episode one, that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. The second person uh, was a student of mine that I was a mentor for. Now, his particular situation was quite troubling. As it turns out, when he was a young boy, he was uh, he was physically and emotionally abused, and it was particularly bad when his mother would take um, he and his brother to uh, to counseling sessions. And every time they were making progress and starting to break through some of the 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 pain associated with the childhood. Um, the the children would start talking about the source of that pain, which turned out to be uh, their mother. And right whenever that information was disclosed, the mother would pull them out of those counseling sessions. I mean, moments where they were waiting to open Christmas gifts on Christmas morning, and the mother wanted to watch uh, uh, a television show or wanted to listen to music. And if they inquired as to when it was time to open gifts, They actually had their gifts withheld altogether. I mean, it was, it was in many ways, the mother was gaslighting her, her kids and inflicting all sorts of emotional pain where now that he's a young adult, he just can't figure out a why that happened and B how to, how does he go about gaining acceptance from uh, his mother? Well, as it turns out, he seeks validation from other people. In many ways, it's codependent, and unfortunately, those other people continually, you know, disappoint him as he seeks uh, out that love and affection. The third person is a friend who isn't definitively sure whether or not their mother loves them. I mean, what can be more fundamental uh, than that? And um, and this person genuinely gets excited to share uh, successes in life with their mother and knows going into those conversations that they're not going to get uh, validated. They're not going to get the congratulations and the support. They're going to get questions uh, on up to you know maybe even interrogation as to uh, what uh, isn't Uh, Positive about those situations, and what's fascinating, though, in each of those cases, what's fascinating, though, is these each of these people offers so much to the world. I mean, they are way more than good enough. Each are worthy of having a better, more joyful life, and yet each gets in their own way toward that pursuit, and it's the pursuit of being validated by uh, other people. Um, when they really, in many, in many or most cases, they should be validating who and what they are in their accomplishments in every part of their life for themselves. And they unrealistically set expectations uh, of, of other people ahead of expectations they should have for themselves. And when we do that, that invariably leads to disappointment. I refer to that as a triang- triangle of frustration, where you've got expectation, expectations, shoulds, and assumptions. Right? When we have expectations of other people, unfortunately, we're gonna get let down um, me- more times than we certainly would hope. When we live in a world of should ofs and ought tos, shouldn'ts and ought nots, uh, th- that's just a recipe for frustration. And then, when we make assumptions uh, of other people, where we believe we assume someone's gonna do something uh, for us or someone's going to respond in a certain way, clearly that leads uh, to frustrations. And by reducing or minimizing or even eliminating uh, any or all of those expectations, shoulds, or assumptions, we have to know that that's actually inversely related to having more joy in our lives whenever we eliminate uh, those things. So, What I'd like to do is walk you through some practical uh, steps to to start reframing our mindset around this. Um, But before we do that, I want to talk about uh, your historical you. Your historical you is your identity. Uh, It's how you identify psychologically, emotionally, physically, or spiritually with your life. It's the present culmination of all of your thoughts, feelings, and experiences. The cool thing is that if you want to change something, you want to make something different, something better, something more, if you want to find joy and peace, you get to be the author of the next chapter of your life to revise how you identify with your life to, to an acceptance of who and what you are. And what's really cool is once you get there, it produces calm. It helps to mute the negative self-talk that isn't helping you, that isn't adding value to your life, and it really makes you more resilient as to you know what happens next. So, here's some practical tips, practical tools, uh, practical ways of of going about. Uh, reframing the mindset, moving away from unnecessarily roughing ourselves up to actually living a life of m- more confidence, more more peace and more joy. And the first is uh, it's called the spider diagram. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to uh, hold out one of your hands where you can see see your palm and spread your your fingers out. Your thumb, is what's the best thing that can happen here? So you're in, you're in a particular situation and you're assessing the possible outcomes. Your thumb then answer, helps answer the question, what's the best thing that can that can come out of this? What's the best thing that can happen here? On the other side, your pinky asks the opposite question. What's the worst thing that can happen here? And then somewhere in the middle, you, you answer the question, what's the most likely thing to happen here? Assessing situations like that allows us to take a realistic view. It gives us a realistic appraisal of um, of outcomes relative to our decisions in, in ev- any given situation. Um, and if we can shift our mindset away from what's the worst thing that can happen, if that's typically where we mentally reside toward what's the most likely thing that can happen here. That's progress in reframing how we think about these things. And then of course, over time through intentional practice, we can move to getting an appreciation and understanding what's the best thing that can happen here. And we start pursuing those outcomes. We start actively hoping for better things in our lives. And active hope is when we focus on what we can do. We focus on positive possibilities rather than focusing on what we can't do or emphasizing self-limiting beliefs. So through the spider diagram, we first take stock of what the best thing that can happen here is, what's the worst thing that can happen here, and then What's the most likely? And then assess our starting point without judgment, certainly no, not looking at it through a negative lens, but it really is a starting point to reframe how we go about uh, our thought process here. So for example, if what the worst thing that can happen is is our inadequacies or our faults get exposed over time, we can look to reframe that thought process to say, Hey, you know what? These inadequacies and these faults, well, I, they're really in many ways gifts because they're opportunities to learn and improve upon. I mean, but this is not about actually ever crossing a, a particular finish line. This is about uh, getting better and, and improving. And I mean, sometimes you need to hunt, hunt for good stuff. I mean, thinking happy thoughts isn't enough. It's certainly a tool to be used, but not at the exclusion of other things. I mean, to practice healing ourselves by reframing our mindset, which is to say that we're never as good as we think we are in our best moments, and we're never as bad as we think we are in our worst moments. um, Healing really begins with accepting who and what we are in, in this moment with the knowledge that you know, we can always strengthen our strengths and work to overcome our limitations. And it's okay, right? There's what happens and there's what happens next. Let me repeat that. There's what happens and there's what happens next. What we wanna to try to do is make the most of what happens next. And if we can view our Faults and inadequacies as opportunities to improve and get better, um, knowing knowing along the way that we're we're just not going to be good at some of those new things that we're trying. I mean, we may not even be good at reframing something in our minds that you know we've never even thought that way before. And that's okay. What we're looking for is progress, not necessarily crossing a finish line. And. What you may consider doing, in addition to you know, looking at the spider diagram or you're know, conceiving of that anyway, and pursuing active hope, um, is to find humor in the situations that you're in. I mean, in many life situations, that you you could take a step back and just and observe your behavior or other other people's behavior, and 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 really giggle at how people behave in certain situations. Take a step back and look at. Um, how people constantly seek the attention and, and approval of others. I, I commonly know as maybe as brown nosing. Um, this isn't to you know disparage anyone. This isn't to uh, cast negative judgment on anyone, but just taking a step, a position of observation, taking a step back and looking at situations and seeing if you can find humor in it. You might also consider... Engaging in behavioral antidepressants, such as, you know, surrounding yourself with positive people, but positive people that will will give it to you straight, positive people that add value to your life. The people that you want to avoid, especially in those times where you're feeling self-doubt or feeling inadequate, are those people that will commiserate with you. These are the people that will be able to relate to you, certainly, and that's an incredibly important component of uh, of building and maintaining relationships, the ability to relate to other people, but it's not overly helpful for you in those moments where you're feeling self-doubt or feeling inadequate. What you want is to surround yourself with people that will give it to you straight. Because otherwise, if you're simply commiserating, all you're doing in that moment is making yourself feel better about yourself or helping to make them feel better about themselves. So surrounding yourself with people that you trust, that surrounding yourself with people whose opinion you care about, whose perspective that you value, you know this person is gonna give you an honest appraisal of what's going on in the moment. So that's the first behavioral antidepressant. The second is physical activity. Go take a walk, maybe go to the gym, maybe get on a bike, maybe do jumping jacks, dance, do something, get the endorphins pumping. Um, Exercise promotes blood flow to the brain. The hormonal release through physical activity is it's in and of itself is a natural antidepressant. Uh, learn to play an instrument, all the while knowing that if you've never played the instrument before, you're not going to be good at it. That's not the point. The point is to engage in something in a new and different way. Right? Get out into nature. Go sit under a tree. Maybe take a book. Um, go lay in the grass and look up at the clouds and you know try to uh, imagine the various shapes that are in the clouds. Go out at night. Lay down in the grass, look up at the stars, um, the magnificence of the universe. Um, Listen to uplifting music, start a hobby, right? Chase gratitude, find those things in the moment. As I mentioned earlier, sometimes you have to hunt for the good stuff. And once you find it, you can be grateful for it. I mean, these are the blessings of our lives. So... Where you start is where you start, right? Doing so makes things better, not worse. Even if you're not good at it. I mean, start where you start, even if you're not good at it. And don't don't place a value judgment uh, on whether or not you're good at it or not. It's a new experience. It's uniquely different. And so you're starting where you start times the next hundred things that you start times the next hundred after that. It creates a positive feedback loop. It allows you to recognize the virtue in things. It allows you to recognize the virtue in other people. It allows you to start recognizing the virtue in yourself. And when we pursue our highest virtue, and when we pursue what we value, we start to become a better version of ourselves We're also a bit better for everyone else we let into our lives because we now can share new experiences with them. And that, I mean, minimally is interesting. So we have to, we have to remember that the the world sees an outward expression of who and what we believe ourselves to be in any given moment. If we feel inadequate or unworthy or sad, we're going to express that outwardly. And that's what the the rest of the world is going to see. If we are confident or self-assured or joyful, that's an outward expression of who and what we believe ourselves to be. I heard a quote uh, a number of years ago that I absolutely love. And it reads, there's nothing wrong with you that can't be fixed by what is right with you. I want to read that one more time. There's nothing wrong with you that can't be fixed by what is right with you. So, how can you go about being kinder to yourself? How can you go about being more compassionate to yourself? I mean, when the kid on the schoolyard, in the schoolyard, when, uh, when we were younger, that mocked or ridiculed us, sold us something. Our spouse or significant other that's verbally or emotionally abusive is selling us something. The adult from our past, a parent, a teacher, a coach, whomever, that told us we're not good enough or we'll never amount to anything, sold us something. And we believed it. We bought it. We bought what other people were selling us. I don't know about you, but I want my money back. Now, as we near the end of the podcast, I want to paint two pictures, and this speaks to the idea of uh, becoming more resilient, and becoming more resilient allows us to face the adversity in life much more directly. It allows us to face the challenges in in life much more self-assuredly, and it's something that we can always improve at. So I want to paint these two pictures. Imagine that you're in a boat and you're out on a body of water, but it hasn't rained in a while. And the water level has uh, decreased quite a little bit. And so you're in this boat and you reach a spot on, on the pond or on the lake where the water level is extraordinarily low and the possibility of bottoming out is uh, significantly greater. When we bottom out, what that indicates for us is that we haven't engaged in enough behaviors or we haven't had enough encouraging thoughts that recharge us, that reinvigorate us. When we engage in those behaviors that recharge our batteries, so to speak, or when we encourage thoughts that help reframe our present mindset, that's reinvigorating. That helps fill that pond back up. And the likelihood of bottoming out decreases. That helps to build resiliency. So the other picture is I want mean, you to imagine in one hand you're holding a tennis ball and in another hand you're holding a tomato the typical idea of resiliency is the tennis ball where whenever we squeeze that tennis ball um, it certainly you know it certainly squeezes in it dimples a little bit and then when we let it go it bounces back to its present form and that's how we view um, what it means to be resilient, that whenever we face the adversity of life, the stresses, the pressures of life, that we just simply bounce back. And while that is an apt metaphor for someone who is you know, incredibly resilient, it doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. And so in your other hand, you are holding a tomato. Well, what happens when you squeeze that tomato? I mean, imagine squeezing that thing really, really hard. What happens to it? It it explodes. Seeds everywhere. It's a massive mess. Um, And it's really disconcerting. Because not only do you have to clean up uh, all of this mess, there's just a lot of it. But what if you reframed your mindset and thought about it this way? That the seeds that exploded out of this tomato actually are capable of sprouting into new tomato plants, which is an appropriate metaphor for the fact that we grow during times of challenge. We grow during times of adversity. We grow when things are messy. Two different viewpoints on uh, on becoming more resilient. Here's a key takeaway. You get to choose. You have control over your decisions, over every next decision. You choose the next course of action and how you'll respond. Um, In it, every next situation, every next interaction you have with someone, every next room you walk into, you get to choose. Do you want to show the world? inadequate, unworthy, sad? Or do you want to show the world confident, self-assured, joyful? Right, You and your life and my life, it's a gift. You are a gift. Your life is a gift. Your life is an unfinished gift. If you were a finished product, then there really wouldn't be anything left to do. There wouldn't be anything left to improve upon. There wouldn't be anything left to offer the world. Not anything new, by the way. You're a gift. What if you treated yourself like that? What if you treated others as if they were a gift? What if you treated yourself as someone who is loved and respected and worthy? What if you treated other people? as if they were loved and respected and worthy. What would happen to the world? What would happen to the world if we actually took that perspective with ourselves and those that we let into our world? So food for thought, fellow questers. Be sure to subscribe, leave a five star rating and consider writing a review. And please, if you heard anything in today's podcast that others uh, could be could find useful, uh, please feel free to uh, to pass that on. You can get in touch with the show at questconsultingservicecom questlifepodcast. I'd certainly love to hear from you. Thank you for joining the conversation.